BBCC episode 40, my realization of the day. You know, people drop off their nice clothes at the dry cleaners, but what even actually happens there? What is the process of dry cleaning something? I've never actually seen it whenever it's done in movies. The dry cleaners is usually just like a front to um, cover up some other crime things. This is a very vague reference to one of the movies we're talking about, but it's just a very innocuous detail that I notice in movies that has never been answered for me in real life. So, do you actually get your clothes dry cleaned? I don't believe you. Yes, yes, episode 40. We are getting up there in the numbers, people. We are moving on along. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm your host, and this is the podcast, Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is a podcast where we journey through the subgenres of horror, trying to get into the nitty gritty of it all and just talk about the horror movies that we love with a bunch of very interesting guests. Um, this is the last week of Japanuary. We are um, we have been diving into J-Horror all month, and it's been a really good time. This is actually the first month of the podcast where I have done all first-time watches, for myself at least, um, through throughout the month. So um, I got a lot of new movies under my belt. I'm excited to continue that conversation today. And I'm not going to bore you guys with a bunch of intro stuff because our guest is already waiting in the wings. She is a horror writer with bylines across Bloody Disgusting, Film School Rejects, Film Cred, and Nightmare on Film Street where we first became acquainted. She is also one of the co-hosts on Scarred for Life, aka one of the best horror podcasts out there and one of my favorites. I am so glad to finally be able to talk movies with Mary Beth McAndrews. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I am uh, so glad we can make this happen. Um, we have, Me too. yeah, we've been we've been talking movies on the on the interwebs for quite some time now. So, yeah, it's nice to like talk to you in person. It's so fun. I always say this, but it's like, oh my god, you're a person with a face, and I can actually talk to you. Exactly. It's so funny. Yeah, when you when you get to meet the internet friends in real life, and like obviously through the uh, pandemic, this is like the most social interaction i've been getting um on a consistent basis yep. it's like okay podcasting is how i can hang out with people like exactly. podcasting is now my new like going to the bar i mean pretty much this is basically <laughs> yes exactly that like you know just getting to hang out and talk movies as i would at a bar um like anyone else yep. man zoom has been really cashing in um during all of this you know but bringing people together too in a in a really cool way yeah, so you are, um, like I just mentioned, of course, I love Scarred for Life. You guys, you and Terry, have been killing it on the podcast with uh, getting such great guests and stuff. I just listened to the Benson and Moorhead one. Like, I was like, what? Like, I would love to talk to them. So, like, you guys have been just slaying it. Thank you. It's very weird and fun. It's just kind of surreal because our one-year anniversary episode was in October. And I was like, Terry, 
this has been going on for a year what the fuck we've talked to some cool people and it's like so it's like I, we always thought it would just be like a, a podcast a couple people would listen to like our friends and mm-hmm. it's really cool it's kind of but it's still really fun like i said it's like a break from the world but it's been a really awesome experience yeah you guys have really accrued like a really wonderful audience and like everybody you know because it, it, it's something that everybody relates to obviously you know um a lot of yeah. horror people had that one thing that you know um you know like terrified them so much but then also kind of drew them into horror so it's always um nice listening to the podcast and like uh hearing the stories of uh people um you know sharing those experiences with people when we have to have you on soon too i know we've been talking about it for a while so you will be on the podcast i know i know i want to get on so bad i have stories out the wazoo for you guys it's gonna be a great time um but yeah so as we uh (laughs) kind of get into your podcast a little bit but um let's give the people a little bit more on uh your horror background hit us with your little horror bio like when were you watching like when when were you Uh, watching and when do you want to do more with it so i i saw my first horror movie at the age of four it was jaws um scarred me for life as they say uh wouldn't go swimming in the ocean for months all stuff and so i I was terrified of it, but I had a really weird like desire to watch more. So I had my dad was really into horror movies. So I kind of watched a lot from a young age and then kept watching them on my own. I loved watching with my friends. I was always the weirdo that was like, hey, let's watch Midnight Meat Train tonight. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Um, And then in college, I took a class on horror film. And that was when I realized like, oh, like my love of them actually makes sense. Like I can write about that and people will read it. Mm-hmm. And so after that class, I think I was like 19. Um, I just wanted to be an academic and write about horror movies. So that didn't happen because academia is difficult yes. <laughs> and not for me, but I've still been able to write like chapters and books and stuff. But yeah, um, call, like that year of college is when I really realized that I can make it into more than just like a fun hobby to watch movies but like really say something important about them yeah like there there really is something to say that like I mean one you started at you know age four I think you're probably the earliest age that I've had um answer that question so far like the the average has been like around seven or eight but four like you're yeah like those are like first memories you know like (laughs) really yeah exactly So, yeah, so it's, like, when, when it's, like, really ingrained in you from, like, that young, you know, and and you grow that, you know, relationship with uh, horror, I always say that it kind of, you know, it changes over time, you know. First, you're kind of watching it for being terrified, and then you're kind of intrigued by it, and then, you know, as you kind of get older, and it's, like, then you're in high school, and it's, like, the social thing, like, ooh, I want to show my friends scary yeah. movies and, like, you know, be weird and stuff. And so it's like, you know, the it it changes. It's an evolution um, throughout. And then, yeah, it's like it doesn't really hit you until you're an adult when you're like, there are some like really important things and stories and themes and horror going on that like uh, d- certain people don't realize, you know, and it's like that's why we need yeah. to 
tell them and tell the world about you know some of these things um to give the people um a little bit of like uh your taste before we head into um the main movies from the episode uh what's something recently you watched that um has been on your mind okay so there's this movie coming out called the wanting mayor it played at chattanooga film festival last year it's finally has distribution and it's coming out not next week but the week after it is the most beautiful movie it is a sci-fi fantasy movie directed by um, Nicholas Ash Bateman. It's his feature film debut. Okay. And it is like a sci-fi movie when the movie doesn't focus on the hero's journey, but on the people who are like the NPCs of the world, like what it means for them to live in huh. that kind of world. That's how I've been describing it. That's like the best way to describe it. Because it's like fantasy, but it's not like dramatic, crazy fantasy. It's more like everyday life fantasy, which is really beautiful. And it's about love, which is also really beautiful for sci-fi. Like, I don't feel like I see a lot of movies that are like very quiet, contemplative, romantic sci-fi movies. And this is one of them. And it is so good. Hmm. So that sounds interesting. It sounds like The Matrix, but if we were following the woman in the red dress. Like the the ancillary yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's like, it's a little complicated because Nicholas Bateman made this entire world that he wants to make more movies on. So it's like a very mm. much like lore heavy. Um, but again, it's uh, it's beautiful. So I recommend that one. It's coming out soon. But yeah, that's, a, that's one. And then Seder, that's also coming out soon. I know they're not out now, but like they're both very indicative of what I like in horror. Slow, weird. Yeah, no, that's that's still good. Um, Gives me something to look forward to. Um, That does sound interesting. And I I definitely want more romance in sci-fi movies. Yeah, like uh, the sci-fi genre has kind of uh, gotten really cold over the years, you know? Yeah. People have all these like existential thoughts and and the internet bad and you know like so many sci-fi movies kind of live in that realm. So it would be refreshing and that's perfect because next month we are talking horror romances all month and uh, we're gonna mix it in with some some other fun subgenres in there, all sorts of um love type things. But uh yeah, cool. uh, excited. I will add that one to my list. Um, I have been mainly just watching um, watching the movies for the podcast, and I've had some random watches in there. Um, yeah, I watched Piercing, and that's a movie that... I need to watch that. Yeah, it's, I, I've had it on my list to like watch for like a long time, and like it just like, I don't know, something about it drew me in, I like really wanted to watch it. And then I watched it, and that was just kind of like, eh... It was kind of underwhelming. Oh, really? Yeah. It, I mean, for me, at least, it, it felt like they could have had way more fun with this premise. Like, I, mm, I like, okay. yeah, I didn't read the book, so I didn't, like, know too much or, like, what the tone is supposed mm-hmm. to be like. And, um, I mean, Christopher Abbott and uh, Mia, Mia What's-Her-Face, um, they, they're both great in it, but it's just not as fun as it could be. And it had the, it had the potential... But then it's like those are the like movies like this are the movies that like I still end up thinking about down the road, you know, like I don't know if that's like the filmmaker brain when I'm like, what didn't work and why didn't it work? You know, a movie that yeah. just it, it no, had all the yeah, ingredients, sure. you know, like it, what's his 
what's the director's last name? Um, uh, da, da, da. it's the director that did the um the Grudge he did remake. The grudge. Um, and I mean he has a great eye visually, you know. So like I'm definitely there for that. Uh, Nicholas Pesci, I'm assuming. And Nicholas Pes- Pesci, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, have you seen um Eyes of My Mother? Yes, and that was also him. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I loved Eyes of My Mother, and I think that's another reason that I was, like, really excited for Piercing, and then it just, like, you know, like, just didn't hit for me. Um, yeah, Eyes of My Mother is so good. I absolutely love that film. It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. It's, it's wild. It but is. it's really good. Oh, yeah. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Um, I would, if you're going to watch one of Nicholas Pesci's movies, don't watch Piercing that I'm talking about now, but watch uh, Eyes of My Mother. Um, real. Yeah, really dive into his filmography. <laughs> Yeah, like Eyes of My Mother, like Eyes of My Mother is like something that like I want to like try and make like something like that, like that's like very much like in the vein of like some of the ideas that I have of like, like the the high art, you know, the high art contrasting with just these visceralness, you know, that like really just like kind of go together with each other with this like strange relationship pairing. Yeah, great movie. I haven't rewatched that one in a minute, but now I think I need to. Now, I think I would say we are sufficiently warmed up to dive into some J-horror now. Kier, released in 1997, written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Um, this is quoted as one of Bong Joon-ho's favorite movies. Um, he believes the screenplay is perfect, and I mean... Uh, of course, if he gives that uh, reaming endorsement, we got to talk about it here on the podcast. Um, so to before we kind of dive into it, uh, Cure is a movie where um, a detective is investigating a string of murders that are seemingly connected, but all have different perpetrators. Uh, the killers are all different, and he's trying to figure out how they all go together and what's going on. And meanwhile, you have this... Um, drifting stranger walking around causing a ruckus so that's um the general premise of it so mary beth what made you choose this movie to talk about this is one of my favorite horror movies slash favorite movies of all time um when i was in grad school they had we had this um like little theater that would do like showings in the during the week like old like older movies the people would curate their own um like program their own program their own program i guess of the mo- of movies of its topic and this one was about uh japanese horror and i went to see cure on a whim with my friend one night like we like, smoked weed and went and go and went and saw cure and we're like let's just go let's see what it is and it is like the most gorgeous scariest movie and i fell in love with it from that moment and i have tried to make everyone watch it ever since i have seen it i made my boyfriend watch it i spent a lot of money on the blu-ray like and more people need to see it. I feel like this is a little bit like of a of a horror gem that I hear people not mentioning as much, along with things like The Ring and The Grudge and stuff like that. So, yeah, that that's why I was glad that you picked this one. You know, I did want to kind of dive into um, a couple more obscure J horror choices, and um, and yeah, glad you uh, watched this one stoned because it is a it is a fun one. Um, just in the in the way that the the camera works, like these 
just lots of there's lots of shots of people walking and i could i could watch them for days like there's some really um great things like that that like really immerse you in yeah and i love like the thing that i got really obsessed with which is kind of depressing is the way that he shoots japan or in tokyo is just so sad it's just mm-hmm. sad the whole movie just feels very gray and even in the sun everything just feels muted and and sad so the way that he has these establishing shots of just people walking in the rain or buildings it's just like this is a place that is dying or it has been killed I don't know it has that kind of feeling to it and it makes it all the more effective for me um while I was watching or when I have watched this numerous times yeah what I've noticed this month in watching uh, numerous J-horror films is like you know in other movies Japan is always depicted as like yeah very bright all these neon like all these bustling people like everybody seems to be having fun all the time people are just singing and you know dancing and all all these things you know going on and just like seems like a really great time but uh, but it's like in the J-horror realm it's like yeah it's when they kind of shoot everything a little bit more straightforward and it, which is just interesting that just like showing a you know environment for like what it actually is can just like be haunting in itself without having to like really draw a bunch of attention to it either but it's, so it's interesting that you get perhaps Japan's more realistic portrayal when it comes to Japanese horror films it's interesting yeah can are we spoil are we do we spoil do can we go spoilers oh yes um yes this is this is always spoilers on uh this podcast we always recommend that you watch the movies before you listen to the episode but if you just want to listen anyways go ahead but we are going to spoil uh cure and suicide club today just so you guys know but yes go ahead spoil away i think what's really interesting about these Japanese horror movies too is how obsessed they are with technology and like what technology how technology fucks with us and I feel like you know found footage does that a lot and there's been a lot of like horror movies in the past 20 or so years about technology but I think Japanese horror films are some of the most effective at doing that I think it just seems so it just they have it seems like there's a more of an intimacy around that and like a terrifying Mm -hmm. intimacy they have with technology especially seen in other J horror films but I don't know this one has that vibe as well um it kind of a tension between old and new yeah i would say like their approach to fear of technology versus our approach to it is um you know why say our american um approach to it is you know generally is like i said earlier it's usually you know tech is bad uh we don't internet bad tech bad it's gonna come for us the robots are gonna come for us something you know and that's and we're always fearing the actual tech technological side of it versus the Japanese are more fearful of how it's going to affect people, how how the technology and Internet affects people and what it does to them. And that's more what they are playing at. And I would say that's kind of like, you know, the basis for the theme of this movie itself um, You know, my my general thoughts, because um, this was, again, a first time watch for me. And I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Okay. But I did like it. I liked it quite a bit. I can also acknowledge I don't think I got it (laughs) completely, which is not... That's fair, though. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it's fair. And like, and for the fact that that's not easy for me to admit either, like I usually pride myself on being able to like figure out complicated movies. I was, I, I came away from it, you know, like I didn't get everything out of it, but not from the movie's fault. It was just like, I was like, so, I I'm, feel like I'm missing something because every, because there's not really too, there's nothing bad going on. The, the only thing I would, uh, the big thing I would criticize is the pacing a bit because this movie does like to take its time, you know, it kind of, you know, likes to neander yeah. around the world and which is cool. But then sometimes it slows like way, way down. And then like, I'll feel like not a lot would happen for like a good chunk. And then they would like, just like stuff a bunch of like important information into like a short amount of time. And that was like something that kind of bugged me throughout the film. But I mean, but looking mm. at it and the sound design, um, absolutely love those angles though for sure. Like it's a very well made film. It's so, well, and he made um he made Pulse in I can't remember if it was before or after, but this director also did Pulse, which is also a similar vibe of being mm. like nothing. I've seen happening. Pulse actually. Oh something. Oh oh okay. Then you knew. Mm-hmm. Then you know. Um but I think what what I love about Kira too is like it's got the coolest villain. And like a weird, vi- I don't know, like the relationship, the villain himself, and then the relate, like the cop and villain relationship, which you see like all the time in like police procedurals and like other yes. crime stuff. It's like the bad guy and the good guy come together, and what's going to happen? But this is, I think, a really, really weird spin on that in a great way, wherein this guy who is a serial killer is hypnotizing people to kill other people, mm-hmm. and they're like that is in itself hard to figure out because obviously like we they're murdering somebody but it's also him controlling them it's very it's very weird and the reason why he can do it is also very weird it's very like is culty the right word um weird sciencey like i I I think it's more yeah i think it'd be more science rooted i suppose because like he was a he was a university student and like yeah that's where he like studied up on the mesmer stuff and hypnosis and um yeah it's me me and tyler like kind of touched on it in the last episode is like the japanese like when it comes to like weird stuff like that with like any hint of like supernatural ability or power or something or if this is scientifically rooted so i'd say maybe it's a mixture of both um there's like some something going on i'll get to that in a minute but it's like the Japanese people and J horror, especially like people just accept it. Like there, there's like no, like you know, no questions asked. You know, there's like, yeah, uh, hypnosis. No, that's not a crazy idea. Uh, no, that totally makes sense. And then you know, the detective, you know, uh, so much time is spent in like American films where you do have these like detectives, you know, trying to solve a thing, and they spend so much time just trying to wrap their like get over the fact of like accepting you know, that things could happen like that. And it wastes so much time, you know, and it's like they don't waste time like that Yeah. to where we can actually kind of explore um, this idea a little bit more. So I would say let's go ahead before we dig a little deeper, we're going to take this movie into the genre grinder, which is our opening segment for each movie. Um, every month we do talk a, you know, we have a theme and we have a subgenre, but of course we like to go deeper than that, you know, to see how many branches we can kind of uh, branch off of this film. So as far as what I had, I saw, you know, we do have, this is a pretty straightforward crime thriller in a way. Um, 
crime thriller, uh, crime drama, psychological thriller. But then I kind of, um, you know, I've been thinking of this. Um, Danny brought it up in the Juwan episode. But, like, this has, like, kind of shades of a, like, um, viral infection movie, but not but not in the traditional sense at all. Like, this is, like, in a very, very different sense of it. But, like, you know, the way um, our villain, like, creeps into into people's brains and, like, kind of infects them that way um, is interesting to me. So, like, what are some subgenre things that stuck out to you? Um, definitely crime thriller, um, psychological horror. Um, I, I also like thinking about, I know it's like a crime thriller, but like specifically serial killer horror. I feel like that's another like specific subgenre I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like I also call it like cyber horror movies. Or, like, oh yes. Movies that, that talk about internet cyber horror. Yeah. I think those are mine. Yeah. No, the, yeah, I totally forgot the cyber horror and that'll be fun to talk about in suicides. <laughs> club too i know um because i did not uh i did not realize how like tech influenced and like uh internet influence that one is so um some uh, you picked a very good one to go with cure like a very very good one to go with Cure. i picked it because of the crime thriller like element i was like okay so we got two detectives trying to solve something that you know that just nobody has a clue about like no one can wrap their brains around it so I thought they would make a uh, fun pairing, and they definitely did because they were, you know, two uh, different um, tones and you know energies and everything completely. But yeah, so there's there's a lot of really interesting um, subgenre stuff going on here that we'll kind of get into, and you touched on it, and we'll start with the um, the relationship between uh, Detective Takabe and our villain uh, Mamiya. And I I do love movies of uh, I love the drifting stranger trope that can't, you know, and usually the trope is they are actually amnesic and can't remember anything. But we learn at the end of the movie, it was all a ruse by Mamiyama uh, when we're introduced to him that he he that's how he like gets in with people. He like pretends like he doesn't know what's going on. And he doesn't know anything, doesn't know who he is. And then to and ask them questions and then you know lure them into his hypnosis and uh yeah they definitely have a really interesting dynamic um you know and you know come to the end this is like it's kind of similar to i saw the devil and like when the villain pushes the hero to become a villain himself in a way um which is which yeah i i do enjoy uh how they explore that it's got seven vibes a little bit too like mm-hmm. if you want like an american comparison it's got seven vibes in terms of how it's depressing it's moody but also there's this very tense relationship between detective and villain and what that relationship turns into and it's more complicated than just like good and bad guy so yeah Ooh. I, if you like seven you think you'll like here yeah i didn't even think about that the seven vibes are totally there um you know very, very in the relationship the the detective relationships as well um and then of course you know the like grisly murder scenes that we get in this movie um which is i i like that that's you know where you know the horror comes just from that they just like show they always show the aftermath we only actually see like a couple on screen deaths like most of the time it's always just like you hear about what's going on and then they get to the crime scene and then it's like you're just like oh fuck like 
how, what what actually happened like and you're because you and you see like the before and after like you see like when the when uh mamia will meet whoever his next victim is and then and then it just like cuts to afterwards like straight after and like skips over it so i i like the way that they did that um i i don't like how it did kind of become like rinse repeat a little bit but um i did um but again i do like that you know they show the graphic you know violent nature of the film without it being a like violent movie like this doesn't feel like a like aggressive yeah violent movie but it still is it's a quietly violent movie yeah that's a good way to think about it because it's gruesome it's gruesome mm-hmm. it's not violent i guess is the way to describe yeah. it yeah 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 like definitely gruesome um and that's and that's um you know the the similarities between the crime scenes is like kind of what connects the crimes they're all um they they're they're always killed but then they're cut in this like uh give this x mark on the the bodies they always um mention the carotid arteries are cleanly severed i don't know why that's like very specific i guess that's just like the science and medical stuff coming in maybe not sure but I wanted to also mention, um, I like uh, this, I, I mentioned it a bit ago, is the sound design for this film. Um, mm-hmm. It has a score that doesn't exactly fit, and they use it very sparingly. But when they do use it, it's, it, it does fit the scene nicely. But then I like how more mm-hmm. attention is just put on the, like, the sounds of the water like whether it be like crashing waves or the sounds of the wind and they make like the wind and the ocean waves like sound like very menacing like you know that's usually like a calming thing but here like they made it to where it's like very haunting and when like he strikes a match it's always like very loud it's the match right when he strikes the match it's really loud and it's almost like He's lighter, his lighter, and you're like, like it is startling, especially because a lot of those shots are in the dark too. So it's like very quiet, especially like in the first house when he's at that house on the beach, like you said, with the waves around and it's silent. He clicks the lighter, and all you hear are waves crashing down. It's just so intense, and like nothing is really happening, but it feels like something is happening. Like it's just yeah, it, it, the the attention to detail really is because um, everything's just like very small, and I like that in those hypnosis scenes too like you know that's like his like that's his like conduit it's he, he either uses a lighter or he uses water which is interesting either fire or water in some fashion yeah and uh yeah he's real smooth with that lighter and i do like um like the the very first time we like kind of see him do it and it's like uh the the lighters in the in the up front and then uh in the foreground and then the guy is in the background and then like it lights up and like as it lights up they shift the focus to the guy in the background and all you see is his eyes get bigger like they don't do anything fancy for this hypnosis or anything like they don't show anybody going into a dream state or anything like this is it's very straightforward which i can appreciate it's like something of a very different take on hypnosis than we've seen in other films I know. And that's why it's I, that's why I think it's so amazing. Like you said, there isn't this like, whoa, whoa moment where it's yeah. like, oh, they're, <laughs> they've gone into they've gone into the void. And it's more just like you don't really recognize that it's hypnosis until they tell you or at least until you're further into the movie. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, but I also think it it makes hypnosis even more terrifying. 
like, cause, cause that just means like, could someone really hypnotize me with just like, without me even knowing what's going on? Like, that's a terrifying thing to th- think about. Yeah. Like, do, how, do, what do I know that you don't have is like a specific way of saying things and snapping your fingers. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I have a very low frequency hum going on right now. That is, <laughs> that is just s- putting thoughts into your mind. Mer- it's so low you can't hear it, but but now you're already okay. on to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that is scary, though. Like, yeah, like you, because also usually in any depiction of hypnosis, it's like the person's like willingly doing it for some reason. You know, usually it's like a therapy thing or. You know, or just, oh, yeah, I'll let you do it because I don't believe that. I don't believe in hypnosis, so you're going to hypnotize me. So it's neither of those cases. It's just, yeah, like someone is doing it and you have no idea. And like the way that he, it's also in the questioning. It's like the way that he questions people that also goes like along with it. Like he has this like same pattern of questions that he asks and like that like kind of lures him in as he's like, and then he like, and then like the lighter, the water is like what like the is like the snap that like triggers them. Like it's just so fucking terrifying. Like it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. Just like it could happen. I know it's not actually that won't happen. Hopefully, but Jesus, like that is just you talk to one random person and you never know. Yeah. Um, well, and it's like oh, I might sound. I don't. You have to correct me if I'm wrong. But like it because it's based in science. It also feels even more real like this isn't necessarily like he's haunted but it's like he just learned how to do it and now he's doing it for fun yeah so he learned how to do it from this recording um they didn't say how old the recording is but they did have they did find other or they they had found a tape that was from like years and years ago or whatever about this like but it, it, they also did mention that the Japanese art of hypnosis and mesmer like goes back like to like the 19th century. I think that's uh the book they found was like super duper old or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I would say I mean it's rooted in science more than anything else. The only thing that like I say gives it somewhat of a supernatural edge is one like whenever um whenever Takabe's friend is just like kind of getting visions of stuff because I guess uh Mamiya is like messing with his brain. So Mamiya has like some degree of like control too, I think. Cause he also like the people don't do they don't commit the crime until like after he's gone already too. So like I don't know. Like does he have some sort of supernatural control that like adds on to what he's learned in the science realms? I don't know. I guess I just, I get, I guess I, like he was really, really good at it. Like he got obsessed with it. Yeah. But that could, I mean, you could be, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe the, the person on the recording was like, uh, like some like, you know, science zealot that was, you know, obsessed with it. And like, people were like, what you're doing is bad. You don't do it. And then like, so like this guy, mommy, like, a student that already has you know things wrong in his brain and then finds stumbles onto this power you know i guess that's just the likely results that come from it i don't know okay can we talk about the ending because i have like a question i think i want to talk about this question alongside the ending because the Mm. ending is the part where i feel like it has most supernatural vibes 
because at the end they go they both go into this old abandoned what what barn, like a warehouse, warehouse. Yeah. yeah and so there they find that reel the the like the or it's the um the tape it's of a, from a photograph talking. from a photograph yes and then when things happen and then at the very end uh not mamia but takabe takabe something's going on with takabe at the very end after he listens to these recordings mm-hmm. so i guess there's i had two li- lines of thought here mm-hmm. it's either that somehow he was possessed by mamia like hypnotized by mamia or there's something weird that's transferred through these tapes that make you able or make you a part of this i don't know yeah i would say like the the hypnosis like techniques already are there but you have to be like recruited by the tape to actually be able to use those abilities like you know or to like actually like maybe only like that's like the key to setting it off like you know because yeah like yeah at the end it is um left pretty ambiguous but at the same time he has shot mamia and then he is at the diner at the end and then he speaks to his uh waitress and then you see the waitress is about to go kill somebody and then movie ends um great ending um and yeah so oh yeah yeah, and and what I want to pull from the ending is the the like I said, pulling in the whole theme of the movie, um, and the Japanese people is like like I said, they're they're afraid of like how things affect people, and you know, Mamiya is what he does in the movie to get his victims to kill people is like you know he's getting them to kill people that they've already had thoughts about and like they have these negative feelings so it's like what he does is he like you know like stirs up these evil you know feelings within the people that are already there you know and then so it's like he kind of looks at himself as that he's not doing anything wrong even you know because he's doing he's getting people to do what they already want to do in his brain you know which i find very interesting so that's why it has like this interesting play with takabe where he's you know is is kind of this broken man you know he's just trying to get through his job his, his home life you know he he resents his wife and he's just this kind of broken man and like sees you know as someone that has seen nothing but evil in people, you know, throughout his entire career, you know? So it's like, I guess it makes sense on why he would be a worthy one to take the mantle of Mesmer, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also, I guess another thing is that like, so Takabe's wife, I think has dementia, um, but she's got issues with her memory. Like she gets lost very easily. She forgets to turn mm-hmm. off. She turns on the laundry when it, the washing machine when there's nothing in there. And so Mamiya is putting these images into Kabe's head of like his life and not having to do with his life anymore. People resist that, I feel like. I mean, I don't I can't remember exactly if like he finishes the the um like the hypnotic uh ritual but there's something that i feel like he also is maybe resisting stronger and he sees something special in him that way as well well he did because Um, yeah uh, mamiya said that he found takabe fascinating because he real like 
he he well, was right. trying to get Takabe to he was trying to do his hypnosis thing and he would like realize that Takabe was resistant to him like being willed to kill somebody. So yeah, and then he's like, Oh yeah, so yeah, you're special. What I need to dig into you a little bit more. And um yeah, it, it's who knows what it is, you know, with Takabe that the reason it might be that black turtleneck that he fucking pulls off insanely. Like when he has that black turtleneck and the trench coat combo, like Takabe is kind of daddy in this movie. Not going to lie. He is kind of daddy. I will agree with you on that one. He definitely is. And I also hate how much I like mommy as giant sweaters. <laughs> it's like, he looks very comfortable. Oh yeah. He's, psycho <laughs> yeah he looks incredibly comfortable um he looks incredibly comfortable for a serial killer yeah and- wait would you consider him okay but would we consider him a serial killer uh um i mean because what's the what the 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 difference is in like because he he's he is planning these in a way and the way that it he does it in a consistent mo, but I guess like oh like the question is like he, is he a killer even though he's technically not doing the killing? Hmm. Hmm. Like, would he qualify as a serial killer? Because he's killed multiple people, sort of. So like, how do you? Yeah. How do you like quantify? Like, how do you quantify? How do you prove in court? Well, that's the like I know they talk about that a lot, and that's like it's like a big part of it is like, what is it? I don't know. I was just curious what you think because I was always like, I I consider him a serial killer. Like in my head, he is a serial killer. Oh, I mean, he he one hundred percent is. Um, yeah. I guess if we go by the definition, it can commits a series <laughs> of murders, often with no apparent motive, and typically following a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. Um, he does. Um, they all have the same MO. He doesn't yeah. really have an agenda. He is just intrigued by people, is what I gather from Hamia. Is I think he's just yeah. really fascinated by people, and that's just his whole thing. But yeah, I mean, he he is technically the killer, and I would assume the only way that they would be able to do it in court was if they would be able to prove it scientifically. And then well, they got those books, <laughs> they got the books, but then it's like, you know, again, it's like, are those hip, like those scientific hypnotic techniques, how, how accurate are they or how likely are they to work unless it is somebody like Mamiya who for one reason yeah. or another is, you know, like a, a mesmer prodigy, I guess. I don't know. The um, but yeah, it, I I like the questions that this movie does bring up. Like it does just make you yeah. ask a lot of questions, and even just like and and that's why I love that you know asking questions about movies helps. And when you talk it out, because now I'm kind of now I'm more on the side of this movie. Cause I'm like okay, I now I, as I'm talking it out loud, I'm uh realizing the you know what what i'm was supposed to get out of this maybe i'm actually still have many more questions and that means i'm gonna be thinking about for a couple weeks which is always a good sign yeah 
I think so. And it's a movie. I, I this is a movie that I had to think about for a long time, and it grew on me the more I um I like I really liked it. I first saw, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this is such a smart film. What the hell? <laughs> so yeah hopefully it may have you more too yeah no i'm definitely uh now i'm actually excited to rewatch it and kind of look at some of these like smaller details a little bit more and um check it out um what my last note on the movie was um wh- whose decision was it for the lightning bolt credits i mean i'm not mad at the decision it just doesn't really fit the movie really like i i like it when people do weird things with credits <laughs> You know, like, I don't know. Like, what? And it's like a very intense ending, like quiet, but intense. And then all of a sudden it's just like, it's like, yeah, what? <laughs> Where did any of this come from? <laughs> like, it, it would make sense even if it was like in the shape of a flame or something that would even make more sense. But just the fact that it's a random lightning. And I was and it like took me a minute. I was like, is there something wrong with my TV? I was like, what is going on? But I like it when people well, do also, random things with credits, though. I also feel like a lot of J-horror, which we'll talk about the next film, too, just, like, sometimes have just, like, I don't know why this is here. Just let's just put it here. And you're like, yeah. All right, do your thing. There's, like, stylistically, they're just like, mm, fuck it. Which, you know, I can commend. But also at the same time, it's like, I don't, the tones have just completely, like, did I watch the right movie? Yeah. Like, what is happening? The Japanese, they make choices and they stick to them. Um, and we will they, definitely... I, that's why I love, like, the Japanese horror movies and South Korean horror movies. I feel like they just go whole hog into it. They, they don't... There's no, like, middle ground. They're just like, fuck it. It's going to be weird. I'm like, I appreciate that very much. Oh, yes. And that is uh, perfect because we will have a lot more to talk about on, like, that specific <laughs> note for our next movie. <gasps> Suicide Club, released in 2001, written and directed by Sion Sono. He is a very famous Japanese filmmaker as well, um, notably made a tag back in 2015. Um, I had seen that one. That one's a fun one. Um, but this is, um, this was, it didn't get great reviews when it came out. It was more of a, um, you know, developed a cult following type deal. And before we really dig into this movie that is about a wave of people across Japan strangely committing suicide in hilarious fashion, um, almost cartoonish fashion, um, I we're going to make jokes at the expense of this movie. However, uh, suicide is not uh, a funny subject, of course. Like I said, we'll be making um, uh, jokes at expense of the movie, but not at the expense of the subject, which is um, a, a very serious thing, you know. And if you are having a bad time in life, things are pretty crazy right now. Um, you are not alone. Uh, my DMs are always open. If you need someone to talk to, I'm no stranger to dark thoughts. But, of course, the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Hotline is one 800 273 8255. Um, choose life today. Choose life every day. And uh, yeah, but now I, uh, after I get that out, I feel like we can uh, dive into this ridiculously bonkers movie, which will definitely uh, lighten the mood from that. But this is surprisingly the first film we've covered on um, BBCC that deals with suicide. So I felt like um, this was the time to make that little message. 
But uh, yeah, let's get into this crazy, crazy, ridiculous movie. Um, again, like you said, when the Japanese um make a choice, they they're they're doing it, and they are going just full out weird. Um, this was this your first time watching it? Uh huh. Yeah. What What were your thoughts? <laughs> as soon as it ended, I was like. What happened? I don't understand. <laughs> I was very confused. But I loved it. Um, this is my first Sion Sono movie. I know of him. I haven't seen Tag and Prisoners of a Ghostland is coming to Sundance next week. And I'm very excited for that. Mm. But this is the first one of his I've seen. And I think it's his first movie. And I was like reading online about it. People are like, oh, yeah, wow. You're yep. That's Sion Sono for you. And I was just like, this is both hilarious and really upsetting. And mm-hmm. yeah, hilarious and really upsetting and also very confusing. But yeah, those are my initial yeah this is this was my first time watching this one as well Um, oh okay it's i loved it i did um because yeah it's it's super weird and bizarre and bonkers but then it gets gradually more upsetting as it goes like the first half is you know fun kill kill fun times but then it's like when they start tapping into whatever you know what Ever message it was that they were trying to get across um because i mean there there is a message there somewhere and the the ending doesn't uh tie up all the ends um or very many ends at all actually <laughs> um and yeah so the the opening scene of this film is um iconic um i i'd seen um gifs of this scene before the the movie that's the only thing i knew about this movie was um you know this this movie opens up and it's following a train and um there and then we see a uh, performance of this japanese pop group Des- dessert who uh come up uh many many times in this movie and they're singing this, you know, happy uh, pop song. And then they keep cutting back and forth between the song and the train. And then you see the train station. And there's a bunch of uh, teenage students there. And then you see them all gathering up. And then they all link hands. And you're like, wait, what are y'all doing? And then they all, like, step. They all start taking steps together. And you're like, wait, wait, what are you doing? And they just keep cutting back and forth between the train and the pop song and the kids on the platform. And then they fucking one, two, a one and a two and a, and they jump off into, uh, onto the track and get all ran over. And there's so much blood, a comical amount. (laughs) So much blood that like sprays on every person. It's like the person at the newspaper stand, like the entire station is just doused in the cheesiest looking blood i've ever seen i mean i'm a sucker yeah i'm a sucker for gratuitous blood like i really oh yes and yeah i love the 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 spray action of it like felt uh like it's like very sweeney todd um like how they do the blood in that movie but even more so and i my other this was this is okay this is terrible and you can cut this if you want but I couldn't, I couldn't, I laughed a little bit when 54, I was like, there's no way a train could run over 54 people at the same time. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I totally laughed. <laughs> I was like, 
Also, isn't that train like pulling into the station? So it'd be slowing down too. Also, or unless it was just a train that was skipping that stop. I don't. I, they they filmed it funkily, but you know. Yeah, it was very, usually but, pretty fast. Like the train would still be fast when it comes through, but still. And also, like later on, there's the other group that says, "Oh yeah, they use the grease, the human grease, talking about how the blood like greased the tracks so it could keep hitting people." It's like. Oh my god, <laughs> this is really fucked up, but really funny. I mean, yes, so. um, I think that will be perfect to go ahead and take us into the genre grinder um, <laughs> for this one, um, because this is a like pitch black comedy for sure. Like, I would definitely put it in that category. Like, it's funny and like, and it shouldn't be, you know. But it's the way that they approach. It's the way that they approach it with just like. It's they approach it very nonchalantly and um, and almost in a playful matter, which is like what makes it just like feel extra wrong, you know, but they do approach it in this playful yeah. matter. And then like when they and then like when they do kill the people, it's like, yeah, 54 people get ran over by a train. They make splat sound effects when people jump off the roofs in this movie. I mean, like so many little things that like. I mean, this is a just ridiculously dark comedy. Um, this movie, also crime thriller, you know, um, kind of same thing. Like I said, um, this has a pair of detectives investigating this phenomenon that they have no idea what's going on. And then the subgenre that surprised me is this movie is almost a musical. There's quite a lot of music. <laughs> <laughs> there is quite a lot of music in this we get lots of songs from dessert and then we have one of the most fucked up musical performance sequences i've ever seen we'll get to that here in a minute oh my god like this oh, movie is terrible. almost a musical which is hilarious it is almost a musical <laughs> holy shit i didn't even think about that oh my god this movie is a musical yeah Ew. oh boy what are <laughs> Yeah, see, blowing your mind there. What are what are some what are some uh, subgenre stuff that stuck out for you? Okay, dark com like very much pitch black comedy, very much the crime thriller between, um, like cop and villain, but we don't know who the villain is necessarily. Uh, what? Okay, this is like I I know people are like really annoyed when people say the word Lynchian, but I was getting whiffs of David Lynch. And I will say a little bit Lynchian. I'm sorry, everybody, but this is how I feel, especially about like as you get towards the end and it's just like a surrealist hellscape <laughs> in my head. I mean, yeah, no, there, there's definitely uh, shades of surrealism. Um, I cannot di differentiate them between Lynchisms because you're about you got everybody's about to I've been harboring this dark secret for a minute. I have not seen a single david lynch movie i don't know Spawn's canceled no more your horror <laughs> yep your nope, that's it that's the end of the episode it's end, the of, the end epi of the podcast the end of your <laughs> isn't that just so weird because like with my that is very weird i feel like with my taste everybody assumes that like i like love a lot of david lynch stuff and i've just yep. i i have and i was gonna do like a david lynch month i had it like planned out like a couple months ago and then i pushed it so that's still gonna happen that's a plan for the podcast i'm gonna do a whole david lynch month 
uh, for whenever Gosh. I decide to marathon all of his movies. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to watch. Um, I was gonna watch Wild at Heart for the first time the other day for Nicolas Cage's birthday, but it's not streaming anywhere. Like nowhere. That's a hard one to find. I have but, it on DVD because I found it randomly in a bin at a thrift store. <laughs> it's like not a good quality, but. Anyway, that's, that would be a wild one for you to start with, too. I feel like the typical ones are like Blue Velvet. Yeah, that's what that's what everybody Peaks. that's what everybody says to start with. Everybody's like, yeah, just do Blue Velvet. And then I've I've almost started Twin Peaks a couple times, too, because I want to I definitely want to like binge through it at some point. So David Lynch month is coming at some point. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for you to have watched David Lynch movies. You, you, your bean will be blown. I don't know if that'll be a good or bad thing, but I think you'll like it. I'm very, I'm very excited for it. Um, all I can think of is um, the the clip of um, ex presidento Agent Orange going, David Lynch, the the great filmmaker, and he says filmmaker. It makes me laugh. So that's what I'm thinking of when I think of David Lynch right now. But uh, but yeah, I definitely um would like to. I'm gonna do that catch up soon, and then I'll be able to uh, um attest to. The comparisons here but yeah definitely levels of surrealism um here in suicide squad when we get to the end um we also didn't mention uh, uh the the tech-based horror because there's a weird oh yeah yeah um we have a hacker named the bat <laughs> aka uh kyoko is her real name but she goes by the bat that's her hacker name um because this is the early 2000s and uh yeah and there's a website that she finds and she informs the detectives of that have that are tracking the suicides of people killing themselves and they're usually documented on the site before the news reports them so it's like there's some sort of weird connection she's investigating the detectives are investigating and then it leads them both down some dark paths and uh takes them to some interesting uh places um in this in this movie um random note that just yeah ran uh, speaking of weird places that it goes random note uh pops up the ongoing giant roll of skin in this movie (laughs) who who comes up with i mean scion so you you sick son of a bitch because that's nasty and, and, just and like, it's like a giant cinnamon roll of flesh it, it it's a cinnamon roll of flesh getting carried around in a white leather bag from scene to scene <laughs> like what okay what was that though because I, I i know what it was but like what does it mean what does it mean because it was like it's made out of flesh it's like what 10 meter flesh rectangles that are sewn into a giant spiral mm-hmm. and you can tell they're different because there's tattoos on some of them. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, this is everyone's different skin. And it is revealed that people who kill themselves have had those, those that size, like size strip of skin removed. So obviously they're linked. But yes. how? <laughs> Help me understand the so, flesh cinema. If I if I'm reading this movie correctly, where I think it goes to. So, yes, this giant flesh roll. Um, floating around and which one this is like where it comes into like the Japanese like m- making choices and then sticking to them like it's so weird how they can have such absurd things still feel grounded like in their world like in their films like there's just mass suicides going on and a giant flesh wheel rolling around 
and it's just like i mean it's like yeah this is weird but like this ain't the weirdest thing i've seen this week or anything you know like that's the way they well, kind of treat with, with especially when they go find the way back at the train station and they're like this they're like they told the train guy to leave and they're in the office opening it and they're just like putting a handkerchief up to his mouth and just putting on gloves and slowly pulling it out of the bag like there's no real reaction so they start gagging but he's just like all right I got this giant wheel of flesh and they just are examining it like like it's just another day. Yeah. And like it's so effective. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? Like what is going on in front of me? Right yeah. Now? And when they t- and then they take it back to the to the autopsy lab and unroll it to examine the different slices of skin. A cannibal's fruit a cannibal's fruit roll up. Ah! This is totally Patrick Sorry. Bateman's fruit roll up. <laughs> I would totally see him keeping a skin cinnamon roll um in a in a suit bag in his closet. Seriously. Oh man. It's so gross. Anyway. Yeah, it's so gross. It's such a random such a random thing in this movie. But so so yeah, so each one is from a different person and it's each person that commits the suicide, you know. Um, there's some culty vibes going on. So, um, yeah. you know, the, skipping to the end of the movie again, if you haven't seen this movie, go check it out for yourself and fill in all the middle bits. But basically the middle bits are there's um, numerous montages of people uh, killing themselves in various ways. We'll get into some individual scenes here in a minute. But to skip to the end. And so there's this ring um, that. So they think it's the glam rock fucking uh, psychopaths. They think they're the starters of the Suicide Club. We'll we'll get to Genesis in a minute. He also gets his own section of this uh, discussion. So after it's revealed that it's not the glam rock psychopaths, um, Kyoko uh, goes to her boyfriend's place looking for him. She notices he's he was a big fan of dessert. And then notices they do hand motions that correspond to numbers on a phone that spell out suicide. So it's so it's dessert is the reason that people are joining the suicide club. And they have these like some of their songs have like weird lyrics like pledge your allegiance to me. And if you don't if you don't love me back, I'll kill myself and weird lyrics like that. And then so Kyoko goes to the concert. She goes backstage and she's like looking around. What, what, is it? Is it? She go to the concert? Doesn't she call a number first? Does she call someone like with that number? Yeah, and it's the and li- it's it's the-, the little boy's voice who we never really know who it is. Um, the little boy that had also been calling the detective that was like tipping him off to stations to the or saying that there was gonna be like another Suicide Squad thing at the Suicide Squad. That's, there's the first one. <laughs> I had made it through the discussion without saying Suicide Squad, but <laughs> there it is. Um, the Suicide Club. Um, he gets a phone call from a little boy on the phone, um, which that seems hilarious because the little boy is like, talk, like questioning uh, Kuroda later about after Kuroda's family dies. And he's like questioning him about like, do you value life? Like, do you care about yourself? Do you care about this? And the kid just keeps coughing like every five seconds. Such a strange scene. So I took scene. that. Okay, 
I could not stop thinking about that cough. I thought it was someone who was pretending to have his voice and clearing his throat every time yeah. because he couldn't keep the voice. Yeah, I was like a little boy doing it. Then, like, like who is who is this? And then at one point, like you hear them pass the phone, and he goes, <laughs> like, "What is happening?" I was like, "It made me laugh so hard." It have nothing to do with anything, but I cannot stop thinking about that fucking cough. I was like, "Why are you doing this to me?" <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about it. Yeah, it, I I thought that scene was so anyway. funny. But yeah, so it turns out it's a bunch of little kids are behind the Suicide Club. Um, I guess these ki- the ki- the kids are super fans of dessert, and and I guess the the moral of the movie is like the dangers of like the influence of the internet and of media, um, and like have and so it's like but but these kids also seem to be on like some higher level of thinking. And they question Kyoko and they said, do you feel connected to yourself? But do you also, do you feel connected to yourself? Do you can feel connected to others? And are you here to keep that connection or are you here to sever it? And that's where the skin wheel comes back into play. <laughs> I think. <laughs> That's all I got. That's well, that's that's I'm I'm stretching, well, but that's what I'm thinking. Okay, because <laughs> okay, I I I can't. I don't have an answer because I'm still very confused. But I I can't even explain to you how I I, I view the end of this movie because it feels it feels so surreal. Because you're like, why are there small children here? Who, who is this man in a yellow raincoat shaving the flesh off of this woman's back? Who is putting together this wheel of flesh? Like, it's just very, like, are the children the leaders of the cult? Is the band, does the band know this is happening? Because I never thought of it like the kids were super fans. I don't know what I thought they were, but I did not think (laughs) of them as, like, super fans of dessert. I thought of them more as, like, the controlling force behind dessert. Well, yeah, because if you think about the control, who, who controls the fates of artists? The fans. Yeah, and like, I'm so because because like, okay then. So then it's like, is dessert the numbers they're spelling out on their hands? Is that actually something? Like, did they do that on purpose, or is that like some kind of coincidence? I don't think so. I think I don't think dessert knew any. Like, dessert wasn't aware. Oh, I, I don't think. Okay. And uh, what? Okay. And I think that's where I'm saying like the message of like fans being influenced and then like you know these kids they're kids you know and it's like kids you know learn things you know they they look up to celebrities you know and they they try to learn real life lessons through celebrities which who aren't always trying to educate people on those things so it's like i don't think they're there but then it's like these kids reading into something that might not be there like oh the, the the hand signals oh i know what the band is trying to tell me they're trying to tell me that I, about valuing life or uh seeing the bigger picture beyond life and and how um you know how suicide affects the other people afterwards i i don't know 
<laughs> it's it's and then they don't really attempt to answer those questions. Yeah, they just kind of they show this council of kids. Um, I think the uh, I think the Skinnerman role is a metaphor. <laughs> That's that's what it's called now. Um, I think that's just a metaphor. Um, For what? <laughs> or just a metaphor? <laughs> they're they're connected. There 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 was it's something. A metaphor. That's it. <laughs> there there was something about life and death and being connected to themselves because that's like what they were questioning her. And I guess when they were questioning her, that's the scene of like that's how they recruit people. Because they take the skin, obviously, before the people commit suicide. They take the skin, then they let them go, and then the people go out and commit suicide. And then at the end of the because movie... Because they ask them, are you, are you connected to yourself? And she responds, yes, I am. So that must be the right answer to gain entry into mm-hmm. the suicide club. And then, yeah, and then the end of the movie is ambiguous because, again, they, they let her go, but she's now removed and she kind of has this, like, different look. And I don't know how the experience changed her, but then you're just left to wonder, is she going to go off and kill herself as well like the others or not? We don't know. Mm. Yeah, I read I read an interesting, like, theory that she did it on purpose so she could stop the club and somehow if like she gets it and doesn't commit suicide it would like end the chain and the chain because they kept calling the cinnamon roll layers (laughs) chains Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's the sixth one in the chain Mm -hmm. so maybe she was trying to be like the the end of the chain again so there's like five different readings that you have of this movie like i because i I don't think you're meant to have concrete answers, but at the same time, it's like, I need to understand why, like some of these decisions need to have more of an explanation. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of rant, like you had mentioned that there's a lot of random details. They're just like kind of there that also just like never come back in either, you know? And they just kind of, I, I mean, I think it is just like, it's supposed to be left to your interpretation. There, there's something there's there's a cult of kids there's i don't know i definitely agree it's like about connection to celebrities though like the influence Mm -hmm. i saw it as dessert knew the influence they were having Mm. and they were creating a cult with Mm. their music because they knew how impressionable because like this um have you seen perfect blue no i have not seen okay see that it's amazing but there's are similar films and how they talk about obsession like pop culture obsession and how these j-pop teen idols become like gods and so i thought of dessert as like a creepy group that understands the influence they have on the youth and are using that like because they're always on tv so like their songs are like putting ideas into your head and like subliminal messaging everywhere everywhere with them in commercials and like they are innocent looking young kids but they're really sinister that was how i read the movie Mm -hmm. i mean Um, i like that it can be read either way exactly yeah exactly i find it scarier reading it as if the band was unaware because then it kind of feels almost a little bit more realistic like think about um, these like real life um, court cases that have happened when somebody killed someone because they thought that um, uh, who was it? Um, Judas Priest. Um, they they thought Judas Priest had put subliminal messages in their lyrics, and that's the re- you know. But it's like obviously Judas Priest wasn't doing this on purpose and was aware of it, and then they like got dragged into the court case. It was a whole thing, and in Cure, 
they even had a dialogue at the very beginning of the movie where they're investigating it and they're talking about like the the X markings and like the MO and stuff. And then the detective said, have there been any song lyrics or movies lately that would relate to the the death so that way they would have a lead? Whoa, weird. So yeah, it, it, it can it can go either way. It can go either way. Yeah, I like both readings. Like that is really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it's one of those like almost like perfect ambiguous endings. Like I mean, like I won't say I won't say that Suicide Club is up to the caliber of the thing, but it's kind of like that of like either option, either way you want to read it, kind of sucks and is kind of scary. But like it, yeah, but like there's just they leave just enough clues to where it can go either way. So yes. I yeah for sure it's much more lighthearted feels like the wrong word but like ridiculous more ridiculous and leaning into that ridiculousness than mm. cure especially with Genesis if we want to talk about Genesis yes um it, funny that you had called this a lighthearted movie because um I like received a phone call while I was watching the movie and they're like oh what are you watching and I was like oh this is movie Suicide Club a bunch of people are killing themselves um because of this pop band they go Oh, they're like, well, that sounds like a dour time. I go, actually, it's the opposite. It's a really good time. <laughs> and they're like, so <laughs> lighthearted fun. I go, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, for me. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, so um, let's let's backtrack. Let's backtrack a little bit <laughs> to Genesis. So we have so a maybe ret- the weirdest moment of horror history. Like it's up there as one of the weirdest. I mean, that I've seen happen in a movie. I I applaud them for the commitment for this being the red herring of all red herrings. So we cut to uh, uh, where Kyoko is investigating, you know, and then um, she gets kidnapped. And then it's like, oh, shit, it's the Suicide Club people. They got her. And it's fucking this dude, Genesis, and his glam rock co- cohorts that are um, up in a bowling alley um uh, singing songs and stuffing chicks in sacks and pets and they're stepping on pets killing them and they're just torturing people and they're they're fucking just being crazy and you're like oh is that but then but then he's like oh no it's not me i'm like i'm not the suicide club person i'm just i'm just he thinks he's a charles manson of the information age is what he said so this is just a completely I... other evil person not related to the suicide club well and that's really fast i thought that was really fascinating though because that person wanted to have the fame like they're like, oh is the camera on my face is he the wanted the fame face? And yeah that again, that again speaks to that kind of easily influenced like t- young people by the internet and by pop culture and by the idea of celebrity because this guy was willing to do absolutely deranged things to people like kill people and kill animals and rape women and then and wear high heels and velvet suits and laugh like that was the length he was willing to go to be this like like you said charles manson of the middle age like that's what you want to be like you want fame that badly and so that yeah. was another interesting that's what he said range. when he was getting arrested uh when yes. he was getting arrested that's why he yelled no. but i mean his introduction is hilarious he's like all menacing and then he comes out and he's like bring my chair sits down for a second goes wait 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 no no picks out a hammer 
and like tries to fix the chair for a sec. He goes, Kyoko, hey, do you do any housework in your free time? And then and, and then sits back in the chair once it's better and like crosses his legs and like sits bisexual style. Um, cause that's what I'll call yes, that. Um, and it, nope, it's exactly <laughs> correct. <laughs> we all know that. We all know that position. We all know what that is. And <laughs> we're aware. And he is just like so weird and extra. And I'm like, I'm like, who is this guy? But I'm all about it. Um, shades of a uh, Kakihara from Ichi the Killer. Um, I feel like these two like, would get along in a weird way. This feels like it's from a whole other movie. Like yeah. this guy, like everyone looks like punk rock, like their hair is shaped in beautiful ways. Genesis's hair is like beautiful blonde, bob wavy thing. It has beaten eyeliner, like perfectly punk smudged eyeliner. Oh, it's, and there's like perfect. an aesthetic, like a, com- a comedic aesthetic. And they're like, this, this can't be what's happening. Like this cannot be what's happening. Like this, there's no fucking way. It's not, but it, it's very, it's a red herring, but also you're like, really? Is this really going to be? How this shit ends? <laughs> it's like they made. It's like they made a separate short film just to be a red herring in the movie, like because yeah, it very much is this weird, just like side adventure for a second, um, you know, of Kyoko, like just like I, I don't know, I guess like showing like her where like her investigating like the dark places it could take her, and this is where she ends up, but. So weird, and then he he's and then Genesis starts singing, and I go, "Oh, we're getting a musical number," and I get real excited until other things start happening during this musical number. Uh, Genesis singing this glam rock synth piano guitar ballad while a woman is getting raped in a sack and he, everyone I, I don't even know why are they all in sacks i don't even know that and, was that was never that's just more that just made me feel like it was audition if you've ever seen audition oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like a guy in a sack and you're just like i don't know it just they're they're trapped and that's how that's how you know i mean honestly in a weird way they're kind of aesthetically pleasing, like in a weird horror way. Like they're like these like little, <laughs> these little weird horror statues. It's like, what, what is that? And, and, and it actually like the whole thing of it all, like does make the rape not so bad. I mean, rape is always bad. Don't, don't say that. Rape is it's, always it's bad, not, but they don't like show anything not- visually because it's all in, uh, in the sack. <laughs> Well, and it's it's not exploitative. It's not like right yes. to be exploit. It's like it's it's all covered, and it's very unart. It's like to me, and watching it, it was more like an exaggerated vision of sexual assault. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't that very like it was very obscured, and it seemed very cartoonish, which makes it a little less like oh, they're just trying to shock, and a little bit more like it's a little bit more. It's a little easier to watch than like a, a typical graphic rape scene yeah yeah like you said yeah like you said it's not exploitive like it's it's not they're not doing the scene to show a woman suffering and showing them going through hell they're doing it to have this it's a piece in this ridiculous set piece to just show how ridiculous this character and his people are 
Like that's really all the scene serves to be. And then it's like the rape yeah. just happens to be happening. But again, it's like not exploitive because they're not focusing on the pain. Like they're focusing on fucking Genesis killing the song. It's a, it's a strange one that I will definitely still listen to. And, and it's just, it's, it's a very, like you said, yeah, it is like this like artistic, like, like fucked up visualization of like, you know, more of like his, how he views the act, like what's all going on. You know, it's, it's strange, but I also it, it's loved also like, it. <laughs> it's like a fucked up music video in the middle of it. Cause yeah. it's like, it feels like a music video. Like everything is very stylized. Like everything it's run down, but like, it looks like it's run down on purpose. Like they're in a, a bowling alley, like a wrong bowling mm-hmm. alley, like aesthetic, you know? So it definitely feels like, like, Oh, I guess this is the commercial break. Maybe or like <laughs> some of the music video interlude. You're, you're like, Oh no, that's related. But yeah, that's yeah. what it is. It's, it's very bizarre. Right. Yeah. Imagine like watching this in theaters and being like, wait, yeah, is this a, is this a intermission cutaway? Oh no, pee? this is still like- the movie. <laughs> this is still the same movie. And then um, I love how during the scene, uh, Genesis is playing guitar and singing. He's got one homie on the keys and he's got one homie just vibing out on the side while fourth homie is raping a woman in a, in a sack. Just, Which homie? The homie that the one with his knife on Kyoko's throat, or the guy with the leash who's just like sitting the, in the back? I would, and, like, yeah, no, the chest. leash guy is the one just vibing. Leash guy, okay. The, yeah, he is. He is just vibing back there in the corner, just like he has his leash his in one feet. hand, and yeah, just vibing out. Vibing. <laughs> Such a weird scene. Um, so weird. So like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's the strangest thing in this movie. Um, even stranger than the Skinnerman role. You you forget about that. I just moment. realized. We have talked about 54 schoolgirls jumping off of a, a platform to um, a man vibing in a corner with a leash. And if that doesn't tell you <laughs> what this movie is, then I don't know what else That's, we yes. can do for you. <laughs> that, is this, that is the exact range of this movie. That yes, is the that exact is range. The exact range. Uh, to, to close it out, I definitely want to shout out one other scene um, that was pretty ridiculous and funny. Was um the the school kids on the roof when at first you know they're like they're making fun of it and they're talking about the suicide club and it's like they're making jokes about it so it's just like they're just saying weird things and like all laughing like haha I'm gonna end it all and be blah, blah, blah. and it's like wait why is that funny I'm gonna and they die just, yeah they're just <laughs> I'm like die. they're like taking turns and like it uh. The way that each one of them like kind of chimes in and the camera is circling them feels like um, the status quo song number in High School Musical. That's what this scene felt like <laughs> of people just being like, ah, oh, my God, these are my secret feelings about suicide. Ha ha. I like ever. It's well. And that, OK, so this this made me think about something. So this is this is um one of the only moments where there isn't dessert isn't playing at any point are they in this scene i feel like because a lot of the time dessert is like in the background but in this one i don't think they're listening to dessert no and when they don't think so jump off the roof they go we're the charter members of the suicide club which makes it feel like a different thing than dessert so that okay i'm sorry i'm getting somewhere i swear to god and so that makes me think that 
it's not just dessert, but like you said, it's the impression, like how impressionable kids are. Cause just one person saying, I want to die. All of a sudden it spreads like a virus through the group of kids. Like, Oh, I want to die. Oh, I want to die. And then everyone is laughing about it. So it makes this feel more like a pandemic movie too, of like a viral spread of something. Yes. I think that's where I want to get into it with that is because if you think about it, like how you'd mentioned, yeah, like they weren't influenced by dessert. They didn't do the whole chosen thing and go get their skin sliced removed. So when you think about it, this group of kids are literally just like, these are genuine kids that killed themselves because they thought they wanted to be a part of the fad and like the way that it yeah. kind of spread. And when, damn, so when you think about it, this is actually a really like depressing scene, even though it's also hilarious but damn so it's like these ones aren't even like they're they and they think they're the charter members even though so many people have already done it. so yeah like these are like th- this is like a just a their own faction of suicide club kids because like and then because like they don't all do it together too like they the, yes they go from talking about it like you said like literally one kid just mentions it and then they all start chiming in and then it leads everybody to line up on the ledge and they're like joking like ha look i'm gonna jump and then and then someone else goes no you're not actually gonna jump but i'll show you how to actually do it and then like and then it turns into them competing with each other on who's gonna actually do it and who's doing it for real and then gets everybody on board and then like most of them jump off except for like three. And again, the way that it happens, like the shot of the first two hitting the ground, like from inside the the building, just out the window. And you just see the ridiculous blood splat on the window is just hilarious. I love the blood splats in this so much. It's so weird because it takes these like really serious moments and makes them funny and it's like he's fucking with you. It just this feels like like so just fucking with you, which I love. I'm like, what the fuck do you want me to feel? He's like (laughs) (laughs) everything. And you're like That is the best uh solo impression. That's exactly yeah. Yeah, what I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you want to feel. Yeah. How (laughs) are you feeling? It's, yeah, like, the the way that he does it, it's, like, it's, like, you know, this, it's, like, very jarring, but at the same time, he does it in a way that it's not jarring, though, either. Like, it, it hops back and forth between these moments, you know, and they, and they juggle them, like, so well, and then it, like, just, like, kind of makes this very, like, cohesive, his own kind of, you know, distinct tone. Like I don't, I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but it like does it, it's something that should feel jarring the way that he hops tones, you know, not even just within scenes, within sentences. Sometimes, you know, within a conversation, yeah. he'll change the tone. Um, there was another one, um, yeah. like uh, like a good example of this is um, there's a guy, um, was it Kyoko? I think it was like Kyoko's friend. Um, a guy like goes to jump off the building and then he hits, he like hits her on the way down. So she broke his fall a little bit. So he's alive instead of killing himself. And then when he looks up and Siri goes, Oh, sorry, I hit you. After- I was, I was like, 
can I laugh at this? Cause this is fucking hysterical. Like it's like, it's so just, I think it's so pitch black hysterical. Cause yeah. like he's dying on the ground, but he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Weird coincidence that you're here. And it's this, it's this woman's boyfriend. And she's like, why did you do that? Oh, yeah, and he's like, her boyfriend. Yeah. And, and so he's just like, he broke her. She broke his fall, but not enough to save him. So he's just dying on the concrete talking to her. Meanwhile, she's got blood coming out of her head. And you're like, it's the most like matter of fact conversation too. It's very mm-hmm. like straightforward and like deadpan. I'm like, what is this thing? It's just like both upsetting and hysterical. And you're just sitting at like staring at the screen. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't, I don't yeah. know how to react, but. I mean, yeah, again, like, I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is, I mean, it's just like, this is funny for the people with the most twisted sense of humor is who this is for. Um, Because, yeah, like, just the the idea of I just tried to commit suicide and hit you and now my suicide attempt failed for, for the time being. And then, oh, I apologize as if I ran into you in the shopping market or something. You know, oh well, uh, oh my bad. Um, excuse me, I was just trying to kill myself. Um, my bad, my pardon, bad. Pardon you know. for the inconvenience. Pardon for the inconvenience. Yes. Like, so 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 odd. Um, <laughs> man, there's there's just a lot of things in this movie, and it's like, and even what we're describing still doesn't do it justice. That's the that's the best no. part. <laughs> is it like, really doesn't like there's nothing you could say that would make you understand this movie and i'm very glad i saw it and i'm now very excited to dive into more of sono's movies because if this is like the trend then i'm excited to see where it goes from here I'm very excited yes like i am so excited to like dig more into into sono's filmography he uh has a very uh similar style uh to takashi Mike, i would say a little bit as mm-hmm. well they kind of yeah. are similar and i'm very excited to explore his filmography as well. So to close out the episode, um, did you have any final thoughts on Suicide Squad before we move on? Uh, Suicide Squad! <laughs> the club. Suicide Squad! <laughs> <laughs> um, this is going to be another one of those movies that I'm going to be thinking about for a long time and I'm going to obsess over and I need to watch it again because I had so much fun with something that sounds so awful and it's really sad but it's so well made that I can't not watch it again, if that makes sense. Like, it's just so yes. good and weird and uniquely itself. Yes. So. Like, it's it's very, it's just so distinct. It's one that I'm very excited to rewatch as well. This is one that, like, when you know your friends well that have, like, the the same sense of humor as you, like, this will be such a fun one to show people um because i think it just like seeing people's reactions i think will be really fun um yeah definitely one that i i want to like return to because it and 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 it kind of proves my point of like i say this a lot uh when it comes to like stand-up but uh but like comedy in general though it's like you can make a joke about anything as long as you execute it well and for this movie yeah. to be able to execute this premise in the way it does really is like great filmmaking, which is just like so funny to say when you talk about <laughs> this movie <laughs> that this is uh, yes. filmmaking. Yes, yes, I'm gonna do my uh, do a thesis on this movie. Uh, totally. Oh man, that would be a 
crazy journey trying to do a thesis on this that, movie. <laughs> that would be amazing, though. It would be fucking insane, but it would be really cool. <laughs> you'd be like, I, you're, you're gonna be like Charlie from uh, the Always Sunny in Philly, board, like picture where he's like has <laughs> strings connected yeah. and he's staring at the board, like. Let me explain this yeah. to you. I have a string to the white duffel bag, a string over uh, Genesis has his own corner that's like <laughs> off to the side with a string connecting to it. Um, Skinnamon rolls everywhere, like <laughs> just all over the board. Skinnamon rolls. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to tell um, Witchy Kitchen about this movie and see if she can whip us up a Skinnamon roll. Oh my ah. god, please! Ah. Disgusting. <laughs> D- disgusting. Now I want a, now I want a cinnamon roll. I oddly enough could still go for a cinnamon roll after this movie as well. Um, yep. <laughs> so, so as we both uh, said, we you know definitely want to um, explore uh, Sono's filmography a little bit more, and that's what this whole month was for me was to just kind of explore one little corner of uh, horror that I hadn't spent a bunch of time in. I wasn't like a total newbie, but I hadn't spent a bunch of time in the J horror realms. So, do you have a J horror that you could recommend me uh, to continue my journey after Japanuary? Yes. So Koji Shiraishi is a one of is like one of my favorite found footage filmmakers. He, to start off, I would watch his most um, popular called Nori, which is N O R O I. Um Nori the Curse. Um that is what I would recommend and then after that watch Cult. Those are very very good found footage Japanese horror movies. Oh yes. You know I love found footage. I know you do as well. I know you oh, really yes. wanted to be in the found footage month, but you'll be in found footage month part two for sure. <laughs> but yeah, you need to check those out. They're recent, either recent watches of mine, and they're absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, I recommend you go from there. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm uh, excited to continue on. Um, and you know, I'm gonna do another. I'll do another country for a month at some point later on in the year as well, which I just uh, find really fun because then when you're like consistently just like watching a bunch of them, you know, and and you kind of notice the 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 storytelling parallels between the movies and like again like what specific storytelling and filmmaking techniques. Uh, exist you know almost not not exclusively but like distinctly to j-horror yeah. and you know why i love exploring subgenre here on the podcast um so yeah that'll go ahead and do it for this episode guys thank you mary beth so much for coming on the show um i very much appreciate it um of course everybody go check out scarred for life but where else can the people find you um, you can find me on Twitter at MB McAndrews. That's where I post all of the many writings I do, podcast episodes, all that good stuff. So if you want somewhere to find me, that would be the best. Yes, definitely. Go stalk those socials. I have the links and the uh, show notes, of course. Um, but yes, thank you so much. But yes, that is the end of Japanuary. I can now fly back to America safely and um, explore some other uh, horror movies. So what's coming up next month? Next month is February, of course. Valentine's Day is in February, and I'm a big romantic myself, so we are talking horror romances um, and love stories within the horror realm. 
um, that maybe not even always necessary love, but, you know, exploring uh, different variations of love within the horror subgenre. Very excited. We have um, four very special guests coming on. Um, we have who we all have. We have Ryan Larson will be on. Um, we have um, May from the YouTube channel. Nick's Fears will be on. Um, we have uh, Chandler Bullock. He's a writer and podcaster. And then we also have uh, Laura DG is coming on. So we have a nice slate of guests coming on the show. And they picked... You have so many of my favorite people. I wow, know. so exciting. I am <laughs> so excited. Um, great lineup of guests. <laughs> and they And this is... The February slate is probably my favorite lineup of movies for a month that I've had on the podcast. Um, so I'm very excited to dive into all that with you guys. Um, of course, make sure you guys are following the uh, podcast page at Bloody Blunt CC. And of course, go on to iTunes, write a nice little five star review. We greatly appreciate it. I'm, uh, I've found out just outside the top 100. So get those reviews in. Let's get um, the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club some new members. Um, we need more sacrifices to the cult. Um, so I would greatly appreciate it. But that is going to go ahead and do it this week for the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join us next week as Ryan Larson kicks off our lovesick month here in February. And make sure you are following me on Twitter at underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>